the best way to learn something is to teach it. If you can be a, if you can be a teacher, if you can be somebody who can impart knowledge, there will always be value for you. There will always be somebody who says that person is, has so much that I can take from them. And it also makes us realize the value that other people have. From the University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Dr. Adam Brooks. Dr. Brooks is a professor of communications here at the University of Alabama. And I had the pleasure of meeting him last year after one of the talks he gave to the MBA program and the business school. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So obviously you go from master's to getting your doctoral degree here at Alabama. What was your uh, specialization inside of your program in order to get a doctorate? So my undergrad degree was in communication studies. My specialization was in rhetoric. So specifically, I was interested in the civil rights rhetoric of the U.S. civil rights movement in the 1960s. Uh, My thesis was on Bayard Rustin. And then in my doctoral program, I focused a lot on rhetoric, but I was looking at like mediated styles and things like that. But then the whole time, what I really fell in love with and my passion has always been in presentation and public speaking skills. Because learning and teaching how to do that and teaching other people how to do that, I think it has always been the thing that has enabled me to have the career that I've had. And that drives me to keep going. One line that everyone uses inside of like studying, especially as a student, is if you can teach someone, that's the best way to learn. Like that whole idea of like, okay, if you don't understand it good enough to teach it, that means that you're sort of mastering it. Have you found that to be the same with, you know, public speaking and like everything that went into it for you? Yes, I'm a big believer. I, I, I very much push against this idea of those who can't do teach because if you truly understand something, you can teach it. You could teach it to anyone and you can use any style and method to have. I have found that teaching something has enabled me to sort of break it down into bite-sized formats that allows me to think a little bit about the micro movements or how do we do this? So what is the best structure that works really well? Or what is the best way to explain a complicated subject or topic that it, that, that gives you those that enables those moments of realization to occur. So yeah, I, I agree completely that teaching it has taught me it. And especially public speaking, I believe that I, my job as a professor in that field is to model the behavior I expect from my students. So then it keeps me on my toes that if I'm going to say, do this, do this, do this, and do this, then I have to make sure that when I'm getting up and when I'm talking and when I'm lecturing, I am following through and demonstrating the skill that I'm trying to impart upon them. Because if you are a professor, if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, your job is to model and demonstrate the skill that you're trying to impart upon your students. If you're not doing that, then then, then there's always going to be a disconnect and attention because I think students can pick up on, oh you, oh, you put this into practice. You know what you're talking about. And they're going to be much more motivated and engaged to learn if you've done that modeling and demonstration. That leads me to the next idea of leading sort of like modeling and demonstrating when you were, you know, obviously you started teaching a few courses when you were a master's student. I'm assuming obviously you, te- you taught also taught through the doctoral program. What kind of teacher 
do you want to be as, as like, you, what do you vision yourself ideally being in the classroom? I have always envisioned myself as the kind of teacher who is someone who is providing you with something that opens doors for you. That can be taken a lot of different ways. My life is possible because of a teacher, a teacher who quite literally saved my life when I was in middle school and a teacher changed my life when I was in high school. And Frank Thompson, who I mentioned, fought for me to get here. I would, I was, they originally were not, they didn't love and want me originally. Frank Thompson had to fight for me to get here. And so I think about that, but I also think about the skill that I teach is how to communicate and how to communicate in front of people, how to take complex ideas and make them tangible for different audiences, how to adapt, how to have delivery that people want to listen to those things. I can think of a no greater skill that isn't an, a key that is opening up the door to accelerate whatever it is that you want to do. You want to be a great scientist. You've got to learn how to communicate. You want to be a good engineer. You've got to be able to communicate your ideas and understand how to adapt those ideas to different groups of people that have different conditions and outcome looking for. So for me, when I, that when they have taken a class with me, they go, I I have a skill that is going to affect the better part of my life because of what I learned in that course, because I will learn from that person. At the same time, I think you have to inspire and encourage. And I hope that I'm always an encourager uh, to pour into other people. I was a self-doubter. I, the amount of times I told myself no way overpowers the amount of times other people have told me no. I was really insecure. I was a people pleaser. I was all of these things in a previous life for me. And over the course of time, what I've learned is I never believed in myself. And so I think if I can enable people to believe in themselves, to go out and do the things that they want to do, and if I can help them understand how boundless the opportunities are for them and how truly, if you really want to make something happen, it can happen. It may not be in the time or the pathway or the order you think it will, but if you keep your mind focused on, I want this for me, that's going to happen. And I had to learn that lesson the hard way. And it wasn't until I encountered a mentor who really believed in me. And now I think of when I teach a class, it's also in a way sort of trying to impart something on the younger version of myself. What, what, what is it that I wish I would have known at that time and how can I give it to them? Mm -hmm. I think it's a, a, a great point. Like the idea of like, how do you pour into your students? And how do you give them? Because a student might only have you for one class throughout their entire time at Alabama. So how can you make the most impact with that, you know, three hour class in one semester? Cause that's, you know, one out of eight semesters, you know, for an average student. And that's going to be, you know, you know, one class out of probably five for that one student as well. So how can you make the most bang? Nicole, for your I, I also want to, I also want to reframe your, your, your approach here because you keep thinking of, of teaching and knowledge as it only occurs in a the classroom. There are multi, you are a lifelong learner, whatever you're doing, you're learning. I learn all the time. Everything, every day I learn something new. I adapt, I change, I shift. Every day I'm teaching whether I get brought in by an outside company to come do a three-day workshop to help their people be more effective or if I'm teaching a three-credit hour course over the course of 15 weeks. Those are both teaching. 
And I think that everything I do sort of touches on that. And I think for everybody listening, back to your question about the best way to learn something is to teach it. If you can be a, if you can be a teacher, if you can be somebody who can impart knowledge, there will always be value for you. There will always be somebody who says, I, that person is, has so much that I can take from them. And so it also makes you realize that other people have wisdom. I learn from my students every single semester. Yeah, I think I think you do make a, a good point that you you learn through a lot of different volumes, not just in the classroom. Like for myself, it's you know audiobooks, it's podcasts, it's you know talking to people is a way I learn. That's not me sitting in a lecture and listening to someone just regurgitate what they heard from a textbook, um, which you know happens. That's you can count that in your entire life. But it's like okay, what's been the most impactful? I mean, some of the times I learned the most information was watching YouTube videos on like circuitry. Like very weird stuff, but I wouldn't have like sat through a lecture because that's just boring. But if I'm learning how to build a drone, heck yeah, I'm gonna learn all this stuff because I can actually apply it to myself. So I like that point a lot. Well, I, mean, I think I think fundamentally, I think fundamentally in my specialization, I think one of the things that I think we have to recognize, and everyone listening to this has to recognize, is the ways in which we process information is changing. And it is impacted by the modality in which we interact with it. Now, that is some college words. Let me break it down for you. People are used to, to digesting things in bite-sized, tangible, hooked-in takeaways. If you start looking through videos on YouTube, videos on TikTok, there's a, there's a hook, there's an audience, there's a validator, there's an action. And it is quick to the point and small and digestible and not like long form. So I think as, as people who are knowledge workers, which that's what you and I are doing. We are, we are working in the knowledge industry. I have knowledge. You're getting knowledge. Your students are paying to get the knowledge. We've got to figure out how to, how to constantly adapt and change to the ways in which people do that. That also means that there will always be a premium on people who can make knowledge meaningful. Because our problem is not our lack of information. Our problem is lack of people who can help us explain the information we have. We have so much data available to us. What we need someone to tell us explain and tell the story in a way that is meaningful and drives action and builds collectivity and connectivity. I, I love that idea. So like how to make knowledge meaningful. And like, I think that's where my generation, especially has lost a lot of that, the value of patience. And this is a common trend throughout history. You now sort of like just historical side of me coming out is that patience is a virtue for a reason. Everyone struggled with it through time. There's a reason why delayed gratification is one of the best indicators for childhood success. If someone can hold themselves back and you know play for the longer game, that does them so much better throughout every aspect of their life. Have you seen that inside the classroom or I guess working with people, especially on talking and you know delivering messages being a, a problem or something you've had to work with more recently? Yeah, I do trainings all over the country with working professionals and helping them get better at their presentation skills. And I find that the working professional understands that it's a process that has to be done, though sometimes they get a little frustrated that they think, okay, we did a three-hour session together. I'm cured. I'm fixed. It's like, no, no, no. This is a, I'm going to teach you a, a recipe and a formula that you can put into practice, but then you're going to have to put it into practice and you're going to have to undo all the bad habits that you have. The thing that you bring up in terms of some of the generational differences, I think what I see a lot of is it's not so much a lack of patience. It's especially, so I'm seeing a lot of like students are saying, I'm really anxious. 
I, I'm anxious when I'm up in, up in front of people. And what they don't realize is that that anxiety comes from a lack of experience and it comes out of a lack of, of repetition of that thing over and over and over again. So what I see happen in a classroom is students encounter an obstacle and then they internalize that obstacle as endemic and specific to them. What I mean by that is they think, I can't do this. I am incapable of doing this. I am bad at this. Therefore, this thing is not meant for me. Because as algorithms have invaded our way of thinking about one another and our value we place on external validation has only ever increased, people only want to do things that they are immediately good at. And I think that has created so many downstream complications for us that make it difficult. So. I always tell people, if you can ride this out, if you can learn to get good at this, there's no limit to what you're going to be able to achieve with it and the kinds of things it's going to be able to amplify for you in your career. The delaying sort of of maturity, and this is something that I'm obviously sort of going on a little tangent here. I think maturity is one of self-control. But I think the people that you see as most mature, especially at a younger age, are people who know how to deliver messages. Because the wisdom that it takes in order to have, I'm going to go back to it, the patience to hear someone out, to think and process before you respond is one of the wisest things you can do. And my dad always has a line, there's a reason why you have two ears and one mouth. Listen before you speak. Is, do you think that was a common trend mm-hmm. throughout your professional side and sort of the practice of communication is you had to witness more people doing it and model yourself? Or is it more, you know, seeing other people demonstrate these capabilities and be like, oh, that's a really good point. I should do something like that. Or maybe I should, you know, change up a presentation style to emulate this thing I just witnessed. I think it's everything you just said. It's both. It's it's never either or. It's both and. I think it was watching people and then also doing a lot of deep reading. People have been, from the beginning, the minute that we could write things down, people started writing down about how to be good, effective leaders, effective communicators. Aristotle was interested in this. Plato was interested in this. Cicero was interested in this. Public education as we know it is a direct byproduct of people wanting to teach rhetoric and good communication skills. The first public education in Western society began in Rome through Quintilian, who was like, if we're going to give people the power to vote, we should teach people how to argue and argue effectively. And there's a direct line through that. There's also a direct line between the relationship between the ability to deliver a message and power, authority. You know, it's the reason why, depending on what religion that you come from, right? People believed in bringing people to certain religions through the power of speech, through preaching, like those things, there's a direct line in all of that. Um, I think wisdom is primarily about knowing when and how to apply knowledge. You can get knowledge out being wise, but wisdom is when do I mobilize it? When do I apply it? The orator for Rome, who was a Roman senator, Cicero, said that eloquence without wisdom is of, or wisdom with the Roman, the Roman thinker and orator Cicero said that wisdom without eloquence is of little value. 
and eloquence without wisdom is dangerous. That it's that, that the idea is that you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't know how to communicate well, no one will value what you do. But if you are a great communicator and you don't have the wisdom to back up what you are saying, then that creates all kinds of problems for society. And I think that that relationship between wisdom and maturity, but that's not to say that you have to be wise or the sage on the stage. One of the big myths people have about giving an effective message, whether it be a presentation, whether it be a speech, is that you have to be this kind of sage on the stage. It's all knowing being. And that always prohibits people from being able to feel confident when they get up. And it's like, you don't have to do that at all. No one wants you to do that. People want their ideas and, and their, their concepts to be actionable. And if you can help relate it to that, then you're golden. That's Dr. Adam Brooks, Professor of Communications here at the University of Alabama. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide. <laughs>